Welcome to Sermons from Iceland, a podcast that highlights the most recent sermons from Lofstofan Baptista Kirka, a Bible-based church in the Reykjavik, Iceland area. Pastor Gunnar Ingi Gunnarsson from the ministry staff at Lofstofan are grateful that you're joining us for today's study in God's Word as a supplement to your weekly routine of meeting with your local church to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The following was recorded on Sunday, February 26, 2023. Today's message is an exposition of Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 19. The first few, first few, first 20 verses of Ruth. It's more than a few. And uh, Gunnar can be with us today, so I'm stepping in. So that's exciting. We're just going to start by praying. Um, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for, uh, we thank you for this community of believers, Lord, that you have provided us with. Lord, we thank you that um, for all of the variations, all the diversity you find within the church, Lord. We thank you for the absolute privilege of coming together in your name, Lord, for the absolute privilege of, of knowing you, Father. And we pray that as we come together today to uh, for me to preach your word and for others to hear it, Lord, I pray that you fill me with your Holy Spirit to preach boldly um, and accurately your word, Lord, and taking seriously the, um, the heaviness of preaching your word, Lord. And I pray also that we might listen and we might grow together more as a church as we look into your word. Uh, Father, we just thank you for every opportunity to come together. We thank you for every opportunity to be together. And I pray, Lord, that you be with us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are going to be reading Ruth 1, uh, 1 through 19. We're just going to start, start easy. We're just going to start. I'm going to start reading um, just a few first few verses. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Mahlon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah and the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Mahlon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Then Naomi heard in Moab, that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. Amen. We're going to start there. Yeah, we're going to start there. Um, so what's happening here is we're, we're, we want to kind of set the stage. So these... Um, when I was studying this, it's really helpful to look at like when this is happening, where this is happening and all that. So it starts with that little tiny little line in the days uh, when the judges ruled in Israel. And um, it's, it's very easy to kind of gloss over that line to just look at that line and be like, oh, it's just a time when like there, was the, there were these judges around or something. And like the book of Judges is right, right next to Ruth's. Um, but really this is like, this is like one of the darkest times in Israel history. This is like, 
this is reading this is like if you're a Star Wars fan, it's like reading like in the days of the Empire. It's like reading like in the days when Sauron ruled the land or something like that. It's like this really heavy note of like this was a this in in those dark, 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 dark times for this country. This story starts to happen. So I want us to look a little bit at what happened. You read my mind. How do you do that? My goodness. How? That is impressive. Honestly. Mm. Amen. All right. So the, the time of the judges, it's, it's the book of judges is probably the most disturbing book in all of the Bible. It is a tale of absolute violence that just, it's the type of book that you read and you're kind of going like, were they just trying to be as violent and obscene as, as possible? You're like, you, you can't even really one up the disgusting things that happen in that book because it is the book that happens like right after, um, Israel gets to the promised land. Um, it's, it's, it sets up this like cycle that keeps happening over and over again. They get to the promised land and they're told, you need to drive out these people, these Canaanites. They are these really vile people. We're not just talking about like, you know, you come to Reykjavik and they're like, you need to drive out Kopoor. It's not like that at all. It is a people that were like sacrificing babies. It's a, it's a place of like really, a really dark practice. And what Israel's supposed to do is they're supposed to get there and be holy, right? That's what the people of God are meant to do. They're meant to show who God is and they're meant to reflect his character, his holy character. And they're supposed to be there and drive out the Canaanites and anyone who's willing to be transformed, may they be transformed, right? But what happens is the opposite. They come there and the Canaanites transform them. And that's the cycle. They sin, they start acting like the Canaanites and then God sends people to oppress them. And they're oppressed. And what happens when they're oppressed? They remember, oh, right, there was this guy that kept saving us, this God that kept saving us. So they repent and pray to him. And he sends these judges. And it's not like a judge, like in a, like when we think a judge, it's like a military captain. And he comes and he just absolutely obliterates everyone. He redeems Israel. And, um, and there's this like moment, this time, this maybe one generation where everything's good. Everything's, everything's really great. They're praising God again. And then they sin again. That's, that's the whole book. It's over and over again. It happens so many times. It just keeps happening over and over again. And you're just like, am I reading the same chapter? Did I go back? Because it just keeps happening over and over and over again. And what that is displaying to us is God's incredible faithfulness in his covenant to his people. These people, I mean, the, uh, what's happening there is so Wow, I, I don't even, I, like, I, I don't feel even good about, like I was just saying the other day, like I would never bring this to family worship. Like there's no way that I would bring this, like you have to, it's like, it's like NC-17, really. Um, and like, if you just look at some of these judges, like you have Gideon, like we love said, telling the story of Gideon when he's like that, he's like that timid guy who's like afraid and then God brings him up to like uh, defeat an entire army with like 300 jars of clay. That's when we stop telling the story. Because what happens next is he murders a bunch of people in, in, in a fit of anger. And then he builds an idol. The, the, the person that God sent to save Israel immediately builds an idol when he's done. Then we have, uh, what's his name again? Jephthah? Yeah. Uh, he is completely confused who God is. He just like, he's, he's, 
basically pledges to God, if I win this battle, I'm going to sacrifice my daughter to you. Completely confused, this guy. He, he doesn't even know who God is anymore. He has no clue the character of the God who is calling him to, 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 to redeem Israel. He thinks it's the same God of the Canaanites. They love sacrificing their kids. So he goes like, oh, you want this? You want my daughter? Yeah, that makes sense to me. And Samson, worst of them all. I mean, that was, a, that was just, it's a brutally violent, he's literally a mass murderer, you guys. A mass murderer. But God keeps his covenant to these people. He keeps his covenant whenever they come back to him, whenever they repent. And that's the thread that we see. It's this really dark time, but there's this thread that keeps going throughout, um, throughout the book. And it's the line, I think it's repeated like four or five times. It's in those days, Israel had no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Both showing how sinful and wicked they were, but also reminding them there is a king coming in this story who is going to make all of this history, right? It's beautiful. So let's jump to Ruth and what we were talking about. So, uh, and why this is so important to look at the context and really like study what time this is happening because we're going to see some really interesting parallels when we get into Ruth. So during a time where Israel kept messing up by becoming more like the foreign nations around them and abandoning their own nation, and God then sending oppression and judgment on them only for them to return to their God and become redeemed, thus showing God's covenant love to them. During that time, we are told the story of a family of Israelites who abandons their land and goes to live with foreigners, only for all of the men in the family to, to die, so they have to return back to their own country to hopefully be redeemed. You see where this story is going? Keep going. <clears throat> then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back each of you to your mother's home. May the Lord, um, let me see. May the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But, Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. Okay, so understanding, if you're a person who understands the history of Judges and you start reading this and you see all the parallels and you read that one line, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me, that's understandable. That makes sense to us. That makes sense that Naomi is thinking that. And it even is a very common interpretation of this text that God is judging Naomi for leaving, for abandoning her country, just like in the book of Judges. It's a very common interpretation that I don't wholeheartedly agree with. Um, it, but it's, it's a very valid interpretation if you hold that. Um, but we're going to look a little bit more on this. Because um, of course she's looking at that and we might even be tempted to agree. Um, but let's keep on reading. 
At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpa kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. I just need to look at that in a little bit. So Orpa returns, and the story takes a bit of a turn. Um, so let's just... Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely. If even death separates you and me... When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? So this is, this is where the story, we, we kind of feel like we know where the story is going. We kind of feel like we understand the parallels being, being written here. We kind of feel like maybe this is God judging Naomi. Maybe Naomi is cursed because that's what happens to people who leave God and she needs to learn and she needs to repent and she needs to turn away from her sin. But what we see is something really special. For Ruth the Moabite enters into a covenant with Naomi, a very biblical and godly covenant that reflects God's covenantal character in Ruth. I mean, all throughout Judges, he shows his covenant to his faithfulness to the Israel people, even when they sin. But here he shows his faithfulness to Israel through the covenant of Ruth, a foreigner with no bound obligation to Naomi. This is a different story. Um, in one instance, he shows through Judges, he shows that he's faithful to the covenant he's made, even to the most vile, disgusting people. He will not abandon them, even when they show nothing but hatred towards their God and his creation as they become the foreign nations around them. In the other, he shows it through Ruth in a time of chaos, iniquity, of sin, where continually he shows judgment to the people of Israel for becoming like the nations around them. He shows grace to Naomi by giving her Ruth and shows his faithfulness to his covenant through the faithfulness of a foreigner. So this is, not, this is no longer the story that we thought it was. It's not like the one we see in Judges where God's servants become like the foreigners and are outcasts. It's the story of a foreigner who becomes like the people of God. It's the story of a person who is outside who comes in to reflect the covenant character of God. So what's our place in this? So I wanna, I wanna ask you as we've just gone through, maybe you feel like you're becoming too much like the world around you. You've spent too much time You've spent too much time chasing worthless things. You've spent too much time following the people around you. You've spent too much time worrying about your career. You've spent too much time chasing after things that will be wiped away. Chasing after things that will not last. We are, no one owns anything in here. You've never owned a thing in your life. You've never held anything that belongs to you in this life, it's will, it will all be gone, child. It will all be gone. We're all on the rental market. There's no security in owning anything. There's no security in owning property. There's no security in your pay. There's no security in any of this. The only security is in the arms of God. The only security is in the gospel that he has provided to us. 
Ah, or perhaps you are an unbeliever, desiring to see the truth of the gospel, unable to see if you have a place there, unable to see how you would ever fit to the house of God. Just like Ruth. Perhaps that's where you are now. There is grace for you, whoever you are. There is grace for you, for the gospel of Jesus Christ was never intended for the holy, but for the unholy. It was never intended for the religious, but the sacrilegious. The distant, the cold, the hungry, the wavering, for the foreigner and the outcast, the weak and the weary come to the cross, not for their strength, but for rest. God has not abandoned you. No matter how much you've sinned or how far away from him you feel, God has not abandoned you. And if he brought about his glory through a wicked nation among foreigners and foreigners among wicked nations, he can bring about his glory from you. He's faithful to you even when you are unfaithful. And the beauty of the gospel is that it is for all people, whether you were born into the church or spent your whole life on the outside of it. The gospel is for all people. He's hinting at it all throughout scripture, right? And that's what we see in um, here, right here in Ruth. We see that part coming back. It's like, it's like kind of like this weird thing where you, you're reading judges and you're like, oh, oh, it's because they're adapting to these foreigners. It's because they're changing. But then no, 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 no. God is using foreigners. God is using people on the outside all of the time. And he's hinting at this grand scheme of the gospel. And that is that the gospel is for you, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter where you've been, the gospel is intended for you. God transforms her to a faithful, holy servant, displays his loyalty and faithfulness. And when Jesus comes, we see the full realization of this because no matter how far you have strayed or how far away from him you were born, his sacrifice is sufficient and available to all. And his covenant, his covenant, he keeps his covenant and he's faithful to his covenant, to his people. Amen. Let us pray together. Father, we just, um, we thank you, Father, for your faithfulness to us, even when we are unfaithful, Lord. We thank you that uh, no matter how far away we stray, no matter um, how long we have spent chasing things that are not of you, that bear no weight, Lord, that bear no value, Lord, you're still there, faithful to us. And you use anyone. There is no one who is not, not usable by your glory because we are all unworthy. We're all completely unworthy of, of holding your glory, of holding your cup, of, 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 of displaying your glory to the world. We're all, there's no one who is able to do this. There was, there's no one who is born with the ability to do this except for Christ. So Lord, I just pray that as we go out, we might remember your covenantal love. We might remember your faithfulness to us. We might remember it when we stray and when we mess up that you restore us. How many times have you restored me already? How many times have we already been restored? Oh Lord, I just pray that you fill us with your Holy Spirit as we go out, Lord, and remind us of your covenant daily. Amen. You've been listening to Sermons from Iceland, a weekly podcast highlighting the Sunday teaching ministry of Lofstofan Baptista Kirka in Reykjavik, Iceland. If you have a desire to see the gospel spread in Iceland, consider partnering with the Iceland Project. For more information, go to theicelandproject.org. If you live in Iceland or plan on visiting Iceland soon, make plans to worship with us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. 
Our address is Fagrating 2A, Kopavar, only 7 miles or 12 kilometers southeast of downtown Reykjavik. You can reach Pastor Gunnar via the Lofstofan Facebook page or by email. His address is lofstofan at lofstofan.is. Join us next week for another Bible-based and Jesus-centered message on Sermons from Iceland. Iceland.